in James chapter 1. And uh, we've been a couple weeks now in James. We've been looking at this book of what God intends to bring about in the life of every single individual that truly knows him. And that is God intends us to grow and mature and experience what it means to be complete in Christ. In fact, if you would like to have a two-word theme for the book of James, it is this. Maturity matters. And in chapter 1, what we've been seeing is that James is giving the mindset of a person who is truly maturing in their faith in Christ. And we saw in the beginning, he says, first of all, that maturity comes through growing through trials. That was chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. He says, consider it joy when you face trials. Why is that? Because verse 4 They have a result in your life. They bring about maturity that you're perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And then last week, we saw that not only does maturity come from growing through trials, but maturity comes from overcoming temptations. And that begins in verse 13, where he actually lays out what does temptation look like? What does it end up? And how in the world can you and I overcome this? And that's what he finds in verses 13 through 18. He shows us that if you're going to truly mature in your faith in Christ, you have to learn how to overcome the many solicitations to evil that are out there. But there is there is one critical element that has not yet been addressed. In fact, if this is absent from your life, if you miss this, maturity is impossible. It'll always be elusive. You will always stay like an infant in your faith if you miss what he talks about in the remaining part of chapter 1. And that is that maturity comes from living out the word. Remember chapter 1, verse 18, what we finished this last week where he says, you know, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's what God says about his word. It's true, the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. We are a new creation we are set apart, from, set apart for God, and he says, this is how you are to live. Now, now, when it comes to the word of God, you've got to make sure that you not only understand what it is, but how to appropriately, appropriately uh, actually respond to it. Now, have you ever noticed that when you kind of buy like a tool or some sort of toy or you get some sort of piece of hardware that you open up that box and there's like a warning, okay? Or maybe it's on the side of the box. And, and some of these, you know, they're they're relatively helpful and some of them are not okay Uh, you see one on the slide here let me give you a few uh, warnings that were either placed in the box or on the box themselves on a on a side of a baby stroller box they have this warning and if all of you with little kids make sure you do not do this but it says remove the child before folding okay and you're like ah you know okay that kind of makes sense but maybe somebody you know someone Along the way, like folded their kid up there, whether intentionally or whatever. And that happened, so they had to put that little warning. There's a cardboard, you know, those little sun shields that we make good use of here in Texas, you know, nine months of the year. Well, uh, on one of those, it had this, says, uh, do not drive with the sun shield in place. Okay? And this, that probably puts everything like, oh, that's what's the problem. That's why I couldn't see that semi coming on there. You okay? Um, there was on the package of a rain gauge, it said suitable for outdoor use. Okay? Like, were you going to put this inside or something like that? And, then, and maybe this was the best one of all, but in a manual for a chainsaw, it said this, do not attempt to stop the blade with your hand. Okay? I, I'm like, what do you think? Whoa! Okay, I should have read the directions. This is what happens when you don't read the directions. So, you know, somewhere along the line, 
there is somebody that actually did something that was never intended. Uh, you, there likely was a lawsuit involved that led to a major problem because they didn't use the product correctly. God has given a book to this world. It's called the Bible. God fully intends for us to use it correctly. Uh, if you do not know how to use it or not how to use it correctly, it, it leads to great danger, especially for believers. You see, God intends to bring about transformation in the lives of his people, and he does so through the use of his revelation that he's given to men. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God to accomplish the work of God in the life of the believer. And there is a right way to use this. The question that every single Christian has to ask is, how in the world do we truly use God's Word so that it brings about the effect that he intends? Let me tell you, I absolutely want to know this. In fact, I think that's pretty much why all of us are here. We want to know how does God's Word play an active role and the development and the maturity of our life. Friends, let me just tell you, if you miss this, you miss maturity. If you do not get what he is going to say here, maturity is going to be rather elusive. And it's really quite simple. God uses his word to bring maturity in our life with a twofold approach. First of all, you've got to be ready to listen. This is absolutely critical. This is like starting your car. You're like, how am I supposed to go forward? Well, you have to start the car. He tells us, listen, there is a role that God's word has, but you've got to, first of all, be ready to listen. So he says in verse 19, he says, this, you know, my beloved brethren, my dearly beloved fellow believers, this, you know, and that word, this, you know, is really just one word in Greek. It says, listen up, pay attention. Okay, it's kind of like some of you professors and teachers, you got your kids and they're all like, uh, and you're like, listen up. Whoa. Okay. And then you're like, that's pretty much what the effect this word has. Listen up. I'm going to say something that is critically important. He says this, you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear. This has the idea that you are actively listening and quick to hear. There were very few copies of these letters that were starting to go around in the first century. Christians generally heard the word as it was read, and they would read the letters that were being circulated by the apostles and their close associates. They would read them over and over, and they would have pastors and elders that would be preaching from them, teaching what this means. And so generally, you were always in a situation where you were listening, you were hearing. He says, but everyone be Quick to hear. Paying attention with the idea of being quick to hear is that you are you've got a willingness to listen. You want to know what is being said. There's a U.S. Army officer who gave a contrast of of soldiers that he trained at some different periods over at Fort Sill in Oklahoma. And he was teaching them on how to use uh, artillery. And so, like he said, like in 1958 to 60. Apparently at Fort Sill, they had a hard time even keeping the men awake when they were going through their lectures on how to use their artillery. They're all just nodding off, sleeping, not paying attention. He said, you know, that was a real strong contrast to what took place in the era of like 1965 to 67. Same lectures were given, but every single one of those guys was taking copious notes and they were writing everything down and they were totally paying attention. Because you know what? They knew in six weeks what was classroom theory 
became real life in Vietnam, and their life and the life of all their comrades was on the line. When it comes to the Word of God, if you've a developed approach like, hey, take it or leave it, could care less, you have missed the intent. You are not ready, and your life reflects that. See, he says, be quick to hear. And he also says, notice in verse 19, not only do you want to be quick to hear, but you want to be slow to speak. He has the idea that your mouth is shut at some certain time, so you actually slow down enough so you can actually understand what is being said. If you're running off of the mouth all the time, you're always talking, Gavin, oh, there's a moment of silence, can't have that, and you start talking all the time, you're putting yourself in a position where you really can't ever slow down enough to understand to hear. And that's why he says, everyone be slow to speak. You probably made this observation, but have you ever noticed that you have like two ears and one mouth? Okay. God has done this for a reason. Okay. And some of you are like, I think, I think I got it. That's right. We're supposed to be listening about twice as much as we're talking. If that ratio is kind of having a breakdown in your life, maybe you're putting yourself in a situation where you're really not ready to listen. You see, the idea of slowing down enough being slow to speak puts us in a situation where we can really listen. And instead of, uh, on one occasion, there was a young man that came to the great philosopher Socrates. He wanted to be trained as a philosopher, and so he, he had the great chance with this great philosophical master, and he's just running off with a mouth and talking 100 miles an hour. Socrates is just kind of looking at this guy. Apparently, finally, the great philosopher is able to just break in just for a minute. You know, the kid must have had to take a breath or something like that. He said, hey, wait a second here. You know, for you... I'm going to have to charge you a double fee. What? Double fee? Well, why is that? He said, well, and I'm going to have to teach you two sciences. First, how to hold your tongue. The second, how to use it. God says in his word, you want to be ready? You got to be slow to speak. And then the third thing he says is to be, he says, and slow to anger. See that at the verse of ni- verse 19? He actually gives an explanation in verse 20. He says, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Friends, we've talked about anger at a lot of different times because it's addressed in Scripture pretty frequently. But anger has the way of diminishing, if not completely distorting and eliminating you having the ability to hear God's voice through his word. There's just something about anger in our heart that brings about deafness in our ears. If you're an angry individual, you're always mad. You've got about a two-second fuse. Your, your, your heart is in such a way that you're really eliminating the ability to truly hear God from his word. That's why he says it doesn't bring about right living. It will put you in a situation where you really can't hear. Angry people have a hard time hearing from God's word. He says... These are the sort of things, verse 21, we've got to put aside. Look what he says, verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. He says, putting aside all filthiness. The idea of putting aside is literally to strip off like like garments. And in this case, filthiness actually talks about like dirty garments or the same word was used for like earwax. Okay, we didn't put a physical illustration up there because I didn't want to gross you out. But the idea is that it's just all clogged up and you can't hear. You see, when we have filthiness in our life, wickedness even deals with the idea of intent, like things that we hide in our heart, hidden sins, dark thoughts, 
lust that we allow to grow rampant that may not be actually expressed physically, but they're running around in this computer in our mind, and it is distorted, and it is dark, and it is ugly. James says, all filthiness, do not miss this, friends. If you miss it, you miss out on maturity. Maturity, he says, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. You've got to strip this out. Because this sort of darkness, this sort of clinging on to sin, this sort of succumbing into the temptation where actually sin leads to its inevitable result, it prevents you from truly hearing the word of God. And maturity is impossible without it. He says, strip it off, put it all aside, filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Now, we, uh, we're in a situation here because... Even after we've come to Christ, we've placed our faith in him. Don't you find that you still not only have the ability to sin, but that you actually do? Ooh. You know, I, I, I would have loved that when I became a Christian back in college at the great University of Oregon, that it would have been great if all of a sudden you never sinned again. But the reality is, is that you and I have a built-in propensity to still be drawn to evil and to sin. And that is why the Lord has made it so clear that you and I can always experience cleansing. You see, we receive eternal salvation. When Christ died on that cross, he died for the sins of all of his people, past, present, and future even. It is a complete salvation. Jesus says it is finished. And he cleanses us. We are completely united, secure with him. He offers what kind of life to those who believe? Probationary life? No. I offer them eternal life. We're never separated from Christ. But yet, as we go through this life, our feet get dirty. We do give in to sin. Some may be small. Some may be very significant. There is always cleansing in Christ. In fact, Christ who saved us eternally, he cleanses us daily as we go to him. We are just always running to Christ. We are always believing in the reality of the gospel in our life. And so like 1 John 1, 9, first verse I ever memorized as a Christian, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that not good news? But you have to agree. That's what the word confess means. Agree with God. Hey, what I did back there or said or thought, that's just not keeping with your holiness. I confess it and I experience the cleansing found in your son. Well, let me give you one other just really powerful verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. He's talking about drawing near to, the, to God. And he says, let us draw near with a sincere heart and a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, the cleansing we have from Christ Cleanses our, cleanses our conscience, and even our bodies are washed with pure water. We are new and we are cleansed because we are complete in Christ. So he says in the text here, verse 21, put aside all filthiness, all that remains of wickedness. This is how you should receive the word. In humility, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. One of the key features of humility is that you're teachable if you're not teachable you're not going to come to god's word with the right approach we come with an attitude of humility we come with humility we receive the word receive actually means to welcome god's word with humility 
So when every time you come to this book, every time you hear a, a sermon preached, uh, every time you're in a Bible study, come with the expectation, a welcome expectation of being taught by God from his word. That is the right approach. And in fact, he refers to it as the word implanted. And the idea here is that like God's word is like seed and it goes into your heart and it grows and develops and eventually bears fruit. That's what God is intending to do. So the picture here is kind of like a garden. Okay. Have anybody tried gardening? Just curious. Who are the? Okay. A little weak in the gardening crowd. In the... Okay. All right. Uh, maybe you've had these bad experiences, but you know, one of the things about gardens is that, you know who else really likes your garden? The weeds. Isn't it amazing? The plants don't grow that you want to grow, but the weeds are growing like crazy. And so what do you have to do? Well, you got to be pulling them out. you got to be hoeing them because the weeds want to grow and they want to choke out the plant. Well, that's kind of what the picture he's painting here. The things, the weeds, the filthiness, the wickedness, friends, we've got to address it. And in through Christ and in Christ, we can. But, and we must. But in order for growth to take place, we've got to be removing the wickedness and cultivating that which is truly going to develop maturity. And God's word grows in a heart that is truly seeking him. And you see that word save? This is really interesting here. He says, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now, we're pretty familiar with that word save. You've been saved. Yeah, save, save. But the word, okay, has the idea, yes, of like rescue. Okay? And many of us just leave it at that. But really, the word save not only refers to a fact of divine rescue, but it refers to the fact of making whole or complete or full. So, for instance, remember uh, there was that woman in Mark chapter 5? She was hemorrhaging blood for 12 years. In fact, that's it, interesting that there was a comment that said then she went to all these physicians and they couldn't help her. In fact, she got worse. Imagine that. Okay, and so she's, she's bothered by this. And she needs help because she's going to die. And she comes to Christ and she touches him. And, it, and oftentimes in our Bible it's translated, and she was made well. But really in the Greek it says, and she was saved. You see, what was actually taking place is that she was made whole. She was made complete. And that's what the Word of God does. When it says that the Word of God, when implanted into our soul, is able to save your souls, he not only brings about salvation, but he makes us whole and complete. He spares us from grief by guarding us from things and saying, stay away from this. And he guides us in the path of righteousness and life and wholeness in him. And so that's what he says. This is the kind of person you want to be. Remember what God said in the book of Isaiah 66, verse 2? Let me tell you the person I will look to. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. So honestly, do you really want maturity in your relationship with Christ? If you do, we have to receive the word and be ready to listen as God has said. If this is not true of you, then you're wondering, why are my quiet times just not, nothing happening? It's because you're not coming with the right approach. You have to be ready to listen. So then he says, well, he told us what we, how to, we're supposed to be ready to receive, receive, but then he tells us the second aspect of how you and I truly mature when it comes to the word of God. We've got to be eager to respond. We are ready to listen. Beginning in verse 22, we are 
eager to respond. He says, this is what you're to do. Verse 22, but prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You're supposed to show yourself one who actually responds to what you hear and read from God's word, not someone who just deludes themselves. Now, that word delude is pretty interesting. It was used for like deliberately false reasoning or like if it was used in mathematics, this was meaning a miscalculation. You see, if we do not apply God's word, if this word doesn't actually influence our will, the process breaks down. We come to the wrong conclusion. You see, God's word is meant to be responded to. Remember what Jesus said? Remember his great sermon on the mount? Remember how he concluded it? He says, I'm going to tell you a little story. I'll tell you about a wise person. I'm going to tell you about a fool. The wise individual is the one who comes to me. He hears my word and he what? Anybody know? He acts on it, right? All right. The foolish guy, he hears, but he never responds. He doesn't act. Jesus said, you want to be wise? Do you really want maturity? You not only have to hear the word, you have to act upon what you hear. You see, it's important to be a good listener to God's word. Great. But that in itself will have no lasting value. Did you catch that? Let me tell you why. See, a lot of Christians think, if I just... Just read the Bible. If I just come to church and some guy up there just kind of reads and talks about the word, it's going to have some sort of just effect on me. Not necessarily. Not unless your heart and your will is engaged. What does the text say? But prove yourself to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who draw the wrong conclusion, who delude themselves. If we are not willing to obey, we don't want to grow in the truth. We do not come to the idea that, whoa, this is truth for me, then maturity is just a dream. In fact, let me tell you what happens. And this is, this is sad. But people who have come to a process where they you know, read occasionally, a verse here and there, they come to church probably pretty faithfully, but they, they never really listen with the intent that they're going to ask Christ to bring about this kind of change in their life. What happens is kind of a hardness develops. They develop an academic approach to the Scripture. And eventually, coldness sets in, And they can actually become rather bitter individuals. They almost become disenfranchised because the word never had the effect that it was supposed to have. Now, James is driving it home. James is a hard-hitting guy, all right? He's going to go directly at the throat. And he's going to give an illustration that clearly is going to bring the issue to the forefront. He's going to say, let me help you out. Let me give you an illustration. And he's going to talk about in verses 23 and 24 of the casual approach to God's word. Verse 23, he says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. And so what he's going to do, he's going to take a scene from everyday life about looking into a mirror. He says, If you're the kind of person that comes to God's word and you look at it and uh, and you just walk off and you, it has no bearing, no effect upon your life. You feel good because somehow you like checked off a box. Like, yeah, I heard the Bible or someone read it to me or I read it. But you really never responded. You're like a person who looks at a mirror. Now, they didn't have glass mirrors like we have today. What they did is they had metal that they had 
beat down really flat, and then they polished it. It could be bronze, silver, or if you're rich, you had a gold one. Whoa, okay. And so you, it was really polished, really good, had a nice sheen to it. And they didn't have them mounted like on your dresser or on the wall. They would actually set it on a table. And so the idea is that you had your polished silver or bronze or however rich you were, maybe you had gold, and you'd look at that and you'd see yourself. Okay, you'd look and you'd look intently. Okay, and that was the mirror. Not a great image, okay, but, you know, it was somewhat satisfactory and it was really the best that was available. Well, that's what he's saying. If you're a person who comes to the Bible, hears a sermon, reads the scripture, but you never respond, you're like a person who looks at the mirror, sees some issues that need to be addressed, and you do nothing about it. George Sweeting tells in one of his books about an African princess. And for years, this woman who lived in the jungle was told that she was the most beautiful. Okay? And, so, and she believed it completely. And she didn't have a mirror to ever check to see if that was true or anything. They, and that was until one day there were some explorers. An exploring party made their way. You've got to get in good with the chief. So you give a gift to the daughter. And so what do they give the princess? They give her a mirror. And she looks into that mirror. You know what her first response was? She took that mirror to the nearest rock and she smashed it. Because all of a sudden she realized that what she had believed was not true. She was not no glowing beauty. In fact, her beauty was not genuine. It was false. Friends, there's a lot of people like that when it comes to God and his word. God's word shows us what we're really like. Shows us the real needs in our heart. Shows us how much we need Jesus Christ. The world's going to say, hey, you're good, you're fine, right? Everything's cool. You're making a lot of money. Things are well, but God's got a completely different scale in which he examines life. He examines it by truth and reality and what things really ought to be. And he does so through his word. And his word shows us how much we need Christ, how deep sin is. It's a hard issue. It shows us how to live, how to walk. And if we take God's word seriously, he will show us the real issues of our heart. Now, the Bible is kind of like a road map. But a road map can tell you where you want to go, and it can actually show you where to go. But the map itself doesn't take you there, right? So, for instance, I've got a map in my car, and that map can tell me from, that from like, how I can get from here to Baltimore, Maryland. But the map itself doesn't take me there. Just because I have it in my car, I have it in my possession, it doesn't take me there. But if I follow the map and I see the roads, then I will actually get to my final destination. That's the rule that God's Word has. This book, just because you have it in your possession or you keep it in the backseat of your car so it's ready on Sunday morning or you have 10 copies in your house, in itself does not bring about change. But God uses his word that when we follow it and we are truly dependent upon his spirit, he brings about change in our life and he takes us from where we are to where he wants us to be. But you've got to not only listen, but you've got to respond to it. And that's how it works. It's, it's kind of like the mirror illustrations he's using. If you look in a mirror, it tells you what you really look like. Let me tell you something. You don't want to know what you look like? Don't look in a mirror. Okay? 
You don't care? Don't look in the mirror. But if you have just even a, real, a you know, reasonable amount of consideration for others, or you do care about what you look like, you'll look in the mirror and you're like, whoa, behold, I have lettuce in my teeth. You know? Or there's something building a nest in my hair. How in the world did that happen? There's something really nasty here in my face. How long have I been going around with that? And what happens when you see that? Whew. No more nest, right? And you start cleaning it up here like, oh, man, I should have brushed my teeth last week and I didn't. You know, and so you're pulling all this stuff out here. You respond to what you see, right? That's how a mirror works. That's how the mirror of God's word works. God uses his word to bring about change by showing us what Christ is seeking to accomplish in our life. Does the mirror change you? Does you stand in front of the mirror just like, like like magical and it changes you? Does that happen? Anybody have a mirror like that? No. Disneyland's trying to invent one, but there's no such mirror like that. But the mirror of God's word shows us what life really is like. What's really going on here? Hard issues, deep issues, dark issues, things that are going well, where we're taking steps of maturity, where the life and the light of Christ is being demonstrated in our life. It shows us. And we're to respond. And by the power of Christ, we can. But you know, what he's saying here is that there's a lot of folks there that they just look at the mirror and they walk off. In fact, he says they just forget what kind of person they really are. You know, if we fail to listen and to obey and to apply and to adhere, we're like this casual approach to God's word. In 2006, there was a medical survey that was conducted about people that have heart um, bypasses. Uh, You probably know this. About 600,000 people, Americans, every year have bypass surgery. And, And it's, I mean, that is a brutal, tough experience. Some of you have gone through it, okay? It is tough. They open you up like that, move those ribs around. They were, those ribs weren't really meant to be moved like that, okay? And, they, and they, it's a painful process and is a long recovery. And every single one of these patients is told, listen, this is just a temporary fix. You need to change. You need to make lifestyle changes. There is a reason why we had to do this operation. You're going to have to change. You're going to have to quit smoking. You're going to have to quit drinking. Uh, you got to learn how to exercise. Those tennis shoes, there are more to look at. You need to get out there, and you've got to reduce stress in your life. They tell all these people you got to change what you eat and how you live. Okay? You need to learn how to eat healthy. I know you like Burger King, but Burger King can no longer be your best friend. All right? You're going to have to learn to eat lettuce. You're going to have to get healthy. you got to find how to walk around your block, because if you don't change, you die. Some doctors are actually really good at couching this. They'll even say, listen, would you like to see your grandkids grow up? Oh, yeah. Then you're going to have to change. You're going to have to make these changes because what we've just done to you, it's a temporary fix. You'd think that by going through this near-death experience and going through all that pain and recovery and getting that lecture and realizing how you got there, you'd bring about some real serious change. Survey after survey has found this to be the case. You know how many people change after, have actual lifestyle changes after this kind of operation and those kind of talks? 10%. 90% of them go back to the same patterns that put them on the table in the first place. And I'll tell you this for this reason. Change is hard. It's difficult. And a lot of folks would just rather die than change. They're not willing to do 
what the doctor has prescribed. Friends, do you want to be in that camp? Well, when it comes to God's word, I can assure you, you're in either one of two camps. You're either foolish or you're wise. You either look at the mirror and go, you're less. Or you're like, whoa, what did God have to say to me today? And Lord, how do you want me to respond? Verse 25, he tells us the correct approach. You don't want to be like a foolish guy. Let me tell you, verse 25, this is the right way. Verse 25, but the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and he uses this rather synonymous for the Bible, the word of God. Notice, what, notice how he refers to the Bible, the word of God, as perfect. Earlier, he actually, verse 18, he called it the word of truth. It is the perfect law, the law of liberty. If you look intently at this and abides by it, that has the idea that you live in it, you, you truly keep coming back to it, you remain in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer that you actually do as prescribed, this man will be blessed in what he does. If you abide by it, if you follow it, if you remain in it, if you adhere to it, you're going to be truly blessed or excessively happy. There's going to be great joy in your life. But the, but the question you have to ask is, how am I going to respond? The difference is, if you respond with obedience, adherence, joy, Lord, teach me, help me, you experience blessing. If you don't, you're just basically going to have to live in the great land of immaturity. See, God calls his word perfect. I'd be very leery if I came to a different conclusion on that. And he also says it is the law of liberty. You see this? God's word gives us freedom from sin. It keeps us out of the bondage of sin and experiencing the grace and the blessing of God. When you receive God's word humbly, Lord, teach me, I welcome it. You know what the effect is? That when we receive and come with a teachable heart, God uses that for growth and maturity in our life. And God addresses the deep issues in our life. Do you notice how little the Bible says about your physical appearance? Think about how much we just obsess about our physical appearance. Like, if we look really good and beautiful on the outside, that that must somehow be the reality inside. No, not necessarily. In fact, you might even want to say generally not. God is very interested in your heart. True beauty, death. And you know, that's why he addresses the deep issues. Greed, hateful thoughts, resentful grudges, indifference to human needs, all these harmful habits, dark attitudes, lust that just grows rampant. God addresses these heart issues. He does through his word. His word is like a scalpel. It cuts right in. It cuts out cancer. It puts it right out there. That's how his word works. It is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts to the deep issues in our life. And that's what he's seeking to do. He's seeking to bring about maturity. And how does he do it? He uses his word to encourage us, guide us, point us to the right direction, keep our focus on Christ, and to keep us away from the things that bring wreckage to our life. Friends, the vision of Fellowship Bible Church, real simple. Growing deep, reaching out. Growing deep in God and his word. It's like roots in a tree. The more you sink in, the more this word becomes the part of your DNA and the reality of your life. As this happens, the tree naturally just branches out and it bears fruit. That's the reality of our church, 
for each individual. That's what God is seeking to accomplish. So we've got to be ready to listen and eager to respond. I read about one guy who had his, his brother-in-law who never wore a seatbelt. And he'd always like, dude, what is wrong with you? Put the seatbelt on. Don't you know that you get a wreck? You can really hurt yourself? And like, uh, you know, one of those, I'll do what I want kind of thing, you know? Well, one time his brother-in-law picked him up at the airport. He just happened to notice that his brother-in-law had his lap belt on. He had the little shoulder harness. He was all strapped in there. It's like, whoa, what happened? And the guy said, well, um, uh, a friend of his had been involved in a serious car accident. And they must have had a club, the no seatbelt club or something, because he wasn't wearing his seatbelt. And he got shot through the front windshield of his car. And took 200 to 300 stitches in his face. And he said, I went and visited him at the hospital. And he said, I, I didn't hear anything new. But what I did hear actually hit me in a new way. Friends, if you have a casual approach, take it or leave it to God and his word. You're like the person that's just like, ah, careless. On the other hand, you realize that God and his word is serious. Friends, just talk to some broken lives experience that have experienced the reality of truly going against what God has said. They've sinned. They've missed the mark. It's hurt. It's crushing. On the other hand, when you follow his word, you do as he said, you let him address the issues in your heart. You see the greatness and the grandeur of Christ and you're trusting him and loving him. It brings life. You know, seatbelts, wearing a seatbelt, by the way, is the law. Did you know that? It is the law. Click it or ticket, I think is what it says, right? It's the law. And you know what it, the seatbelt is meant to do? It's meant to spare you from great grief. And God does so in his word. He tells you to stay away from different attitudes and various temptations. And he tells you what to do. It's like the seatbelt. He's preventing you from experiencing bondage to sin and all the problems that come from it. The question is, will you listen to him and respond to him? And this is the issue, friends. This is why we have so many immature Christians in the world, and especially in the United States. We've developed a take-it-or-leave-it approach to the Word of God. We're not really ready to listen, and we're not eager to apply, and we are living the reality of a casual, complacent Christianity. James says, no more. You see, when we're looking intently at God's Word, it's going to have a significant effect. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, remember how we read in James chapter 1? Some of you may have felt a little nervous when I was talking about anger. See that in verse 19, 119? Be slow to anger. And you're like, whew, let's get over that. Keep reading. And then, ooh, verse 20. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Ugh. You're like, oh, I hope my wife wasn't listening to that or something. You know, I don't know what you were thinking. But God addresses that anger issue. And it, it comes up maybe in Colossians 3.8. You know, he addresses it in rather great detail in chapter 3 about anger. And you're like, okay. I can't slide past it. God's brought it to the forefront of my mind. And you think about how angry you've been, you know, like you, you know, you're mad about something. So you take your fist and you hit a door, you know, and there's little holes in your wall. Where did these come from? Well, I had a bad day each day. Okay. And you're all right. It looks like perforated cheese around your wall. There's something because you're just an angry individual. And you're like, you know, this shouldn't be this way. I'm a Christian. I believe in Christ. I've read this in his word. How do you respond to it? What do you do? Well, let me just tell you, you've got to be ready to listen. Have you confessed it? Have you agreed with God, this is wrong? And you seek God. You repent. 
Lord, that is wrong. And you seek him and you ask God to help you. Ask Christ to strengthen you, give you the right way to go. Dwell upon Jesus. Ask him, what is the way to go? What are the right responses to these different situations that, how, that anger me? And what, how should I respond to them? Because what happens is you just develop patterns. Get mad, hit somebody or something. All right. But you don't have to live that way. There are other responses to anger. We're all going to face issues that make us mad and angry. The question is how to respond to them. And so we pray and we put into practice what God has to say in his word. We are eager to apply to achieve the right way. So that's the question we ask. Lord, how do I respond? Lord, what have you revealed in your word? How do I respond to it in my life? A lot of Christians are like tourists. You know what a tourist is, don't you? They just kind of drive around. They look at the high points, you know. Um, they, the idea of a tourist vacation is you see some really cool things. You look at it, and then you're like, oh, got out of the car. You take a little picture of Grand Canyon. In the car, we're off to our next site, you know, and you're just... And, and that's a tourist. Just taking a few high points. On the other hand, an explorer, an explorer is one who is really examining and looking at all the details and taking in the beauty and seeing and beholding what is really there. Friends, if you're a tourist when it comes to being a Christian, not John 3, 16, got a verse here, there, and but you are missing it. God wants us to be explorers and dive in deep to his word. That means you've got to go over it time and time again. You know, sometimes I read the Bible and, man, I am just thrilled and I'm pumped up. It's, all, it's like an emotional experience. But that's not always the case. Sometimes I read and I'm like, okay. And there's things that are puzzling and difficult to understand. But I want to stay with it and stay at it. Friends, that is the normal Christian life. You just got to be in the word. Don't think you have to be all based on emotion. It's based on patterns of spending time being ready to receive, eager to apply. And when we are, it leads to spiritual depth in our life. I mean, there's going to be, if you spend time, the people that have truly spent time, years in this book, they have a great love for Christ an appreciation for his grace, love, atonement, redemption. They are, they are so alive to Jesus because they're in his word. His word is living and active. There's also a deliverance from sin. They're finding it like, whoa, I'm staying away from these things. There's victory over Satan. There's personal guidance in life. Lord, how do I respond to this situation or this person that is just responding so poorly? And you know what else it does? You spend time in this word. It puts you in a situation where you can truly have a ministry to others. If you want to give something to others, you have to first receive it yourself. You know how you get it? By just spending quality time in his word. You know, for a plant, the, the ultimate goal of a, a plant in your garden is to bear fruit. And if it doesn't bear fruit, it's not like a, um, some sort of punishment. If your tomato plants aren't producing tomatoes, it's not that the tomato plant is being punished. You know it's taking place, don't you? It's an unhappy departure from what was intended for that plant. Tomato plants are intended to bear fruit. Friends, Christians, God fully intends to bear the fruit of life, freedom, fullness in life. That is why he's redeemed us. He has saved us and he has made us complete in Christ so that we will bear much fruit in him. And so he closes with some concrete examples of what does it look like when you take God's word seriously. He says, Verse 26, if anyone thinks of himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man is religion is worthless. First thing he says is, you know, one of the practical manifestations of someone who is truly abiding in his word 
you're going to find that you're going to have what is called self-control. He is able to bridle his tongue. Okay, you use bridles in horses, right? With horses, right? And you've got a horse with a bridle. A horse that's well-trained, man, you can do a tremendous amount of work with a horse. You can, you can chase cattle around and give your kids a ride. You can go look at the prairie. If you've got a horse that's under control, you just let's go here. You're under control. On the other hand, have you ever seen a horse that's not been broken and out of control? Want to hop onto that, baby? I mean, that's like strapping yourself to a thousand pounds of dynamite. He's going to take you all over the place. He's going to throw you your tongue. And he's going to talk about this. It's coming up. It needs to be bridled. And God uses his word to bring about that bridling. Now, this isn't the silent treatment. I want to make sure that we don't have any like uh, husband-wife problems on this one. This is not the silent treatment. I'm bridling my tongue. I'm just not talking to you. I heard of a couple. They were having a major problem. And it got to the point where they weren't speaking. Did this for a whole week. Well, I don't know how that could happen. But they, they didn't speak for a whole week. And uh, the husband had a business trip up in Chicago. Had to catch a flight at 5 a.m. And he had trouble waking up. So his, he, uh, he wrote a note, because we're not talking, to his wife. And it was a simple one. Just like, wake me up at 5 a.m. Gave her the note. All right. I went to bed. Went to bed mad, not talking. And then... Uh, Next morning comes up, guy wakes up, looks at the clock, it's 9 o'clock. Oh, what night? Missed the flight, missed the business trip. Man, he was going to go and demand an answer from his wife. What in the world is she thinking? He's pulling himself together, and he noticed there was a little note by his pillow, and it said, it's 5 a.m., wake up. All right? Friends, that's, that's not helping, all right? Don't do that, all right? When he says bridle your tongue, it's not like give the person, give people silent treatment. It is to be able to use your tongue for good, noble, and worthy purposes. And in fact, he says, friends, if there's not self-control coming from your relationship with Christ, if from the root of your relationship with Christ is not bearing the reality of fruit, he said your religion is, this is totally politically incorrect, very James-like, it's worthless. Not, oh, it's a good thing you went to church. Well, you're a nice Christian person. No. If there's no reality in your life of relationship with Christ, it's worthless. You're playing a game. That's what he says. On the other hand, you respond to God's word correctly. He brings about self-control. Notice what else he says in verse 27. He gives just a couple more examples. It also gives you spiritual compassion. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Orphans and widows were probably the most needy people in the church. They had nothing to offer. They could not give back. They couldn't pay for things. But friends, when our heart is gripped by God and his word, he shapes our values. Our beliefs and our values and convictions are aligned with his priorities. We care about the needy and the broken. There is spiritual compassion. And notice what else he says, and he closes this in verse 27. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. There is a separation from worldly influence. We are in this world, but we are not of it. Obviously, Satan has a scheme of the world's values. They are always moving forward, but they are never upward. They are always about self and what you can get and how you can take advantage of folks. God wants people that are separated from the world and set apart to him. We are in this world to represent and reflect what life looks like as first fruits, as people dedicated Christ and Christ living in us. 
And he fully intends, friends, to bring us to maturity. Let me just tell you, at Fellowship Bible Church here, we want to present every person complete in Christ. This is the heart of this church, is that every person experiences maturity in Christ. Complete. And the only way that's going to happen is if you and I truly have the right response to his word, where we are truly ready to listen, we are eager to apply. There's a little boy who was watching his mother play the piano, super beautiful, and she's like just going to town. And he's like, Mom, I, I want to play the piano like that. So he climbs up there, you know, and he thinks he can do just what Mom did, right? And so he just kind of puts his hands up, and he kind of, but it sounds nothing like it. I mean, Mom plays the piano, and it's beautiful, and there's chords, and there's melody, and there's harmony, and there's notes coming everywhere. The kid doesn't, uh, and it's making noise. And he's like, whoa, how, when will I be able to play? How will I be able to do it? And she thought, you know, that's where all those lessons came, all those arpeggios and all that studying music theory. You see, what makes music music is that you can actually read the notes. You see where there's holes and there's pause and staccatos and legatos. You understand the nature of music. And what happens is you spend time with the music, then pretty soon you just live and you emanate the music. It's the true expression of music. It just flows through you. Friends, that's what it's like when you're in the Word of God. You first come to this and it's, well, you're making noise. Okay, we're going to make progress, but you spend time in it, years in it. And as we grow in our relationship with Christ by just spending time with Him in His Word, we begin to make beautiful music. It leads to beautiful lives. So friends, maturity comes from living out the Word. God fully intends us to become mature. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the amazing power of your word. It shows us our need for the Savior, Jesus Christ. It shows us what life is meant to be lived like. It guides us, guards us, it deals with the deep issues of our life. Lord, I pray that all of us would truly be those who respond to you. For the person who is here today who's never put their faith and trust in you, they pray with me and say, Lord, you know all about me about my sin and wickedness. And I just turn from my self-centeredness and I put my trust and my faith in your son, Jesus. Have your way and build your life me. And Father, for all of us who are here who do know you, Lord, I pray that the reality of our life is that we would be those who truly listen to your word. We are ready to listen and we are eager to apply. And by your grace and through your spirit, Lord, would you bring to reality all that you've written with the perfect law of liberty, be our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.